This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Morning Bulletin here on the Blood Red channel as we bring you your must-know stories from this morning's reports. I'm Guy Clark and on Tuesday the 6th of October, these are your top stories. The morning after the night befores, the transfer window rather gently closes. Marco Gruic's frustration after Bundesliga move falls through. Shakiri stays as silence for Swiss Stars services. And Ryan Giggs has his say on Nico Williams' criticism, whilst FIFA force Reds to release South American contingent. All to come here on the Morning Bulletin from Blood Red, alongside me as ever, Matt Addison. Matt, the transfer window has shut, and given the lack of any dealings yesterday, I'm sure quite a few people probably thought it closed weeks ago. Yeah, it was a strange one, wasn't it? It didn't almost feel like a, a deadline day. There was very, very little going on, obviously. We knew that, that Liverpool weren't going to be signing anyone despite the sort of clamour for a new goalkeeper and things like that. Liverpool were never going to be panicked into to doing anything last minute, but we did expect, as we're going to come to it, a couple of deals to go through uh, in terms of outgoings. That didn't happen. Even you know across the Premier League further afield, there was one or two deals. Again, we'll, we'll come to those shortly, but... There really wasn't a, a huge amount to, to get into, was there? No, really precious little. Let's stick with the transfer window then and look at it in some more depth. And first up, we'll look at sort of what did get spent. Arsenal seemed to be the biggest spenders on the day. Manchester United, the busiest. And even Everton getting in on the mix. Yeah, I mean, Everton uh, tying up the, the deal for Ben Godfrey. I think we, we knew that that was going to be done. That eventually went through at about nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, you, you look at, at the BBC Sport website, actually, and there's a, a few sort of timestamps to go along with each deal. You look at the first one that went through, I think, was shortly after nine o'clock. The, the second one then was, I think, Alex Teller to, to Manchester United was confirmed about nine hours later. And between that, there wasn't really anything that, that happened in the, the market. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a strange sort of day. Obviously, we know in the, the transfer window, things do tend to happen a little bit later on. Um, obviously, Manchester United getting in Edinson Cavani. Maybe about five or six years ago, that might have been a really exciting move. I'm not quite so sure it was on this occasion. I think they're going to be paying him huge amounts of, of wages and it, it could probably go one of two ways, obviously. Zlatan Ibrahimovic came in for them and, and did a, a kind of relatively good short-term job. But then you think of, of Radamel Falcao as well, um, a similar sort of profile. That's the, the one it kind of reminds me of, to be honest. Um, almost a, a bit of a, a panic buy, a, a bit of a name being brought in rather than anything else. But look, we'll we'll have to just see how it goes, see if he's uh, it lives up to the, the price tag, certainly the, the agent's fee and, and that sort of thing. It, it's not a cheap deal for Manchester United to do. And when you think that they started this summer expecting really that Jadon Sancho would be there, you saw the way that they defended over the weekend. Um, I mean, they, they could do really with at least one centre-back, probably a full-back as well, obviously. Got Alex Tellers in, but then... You look at the way that they defended, it's going to take more than than one left-back from Porto to come in and, and solve that problem. So, yeah, I don't think they've done uh, particularly well. Um, not a, a great day for them. I'm sure there'll be you know, plenty of, of frustration there. I suppose the, the big winners, really, uh, apart from, from Everton, obviously Ben Godfrey is a, a very good signing for them, but... I think probably Arsenal finally getting Thomas Partey in after you know so many weeks of, of wanting him and trying to get that deal done. Arsenal finally coming to the table and, and very, very late in the day. 
just about uh, getting that deal done in time. Went through about quarter past 11, I think, so about 15 minutes after the deadline. But obviously all the, the paperwork and, and that sort of thing has gone through in time. So, yeah, it was uh, a decent move for them, I think, a really good midfielder. And I think, obviously, they, they went for a few different players. I think Hussein Awal was another one. Uh, I'm a big big fan of him but I think Thomas Partey could be you know a really good signing for Arsenal and it just makes things interesting in that top four race Everton as as well as getting that centre-back deal over the line in the end ended up with another goalkeeper as well Uh, Robin Olsen came in from from Roma on loan so you'd look at that and think that could well at the very least um, give Jordan Pickford um, a bit of a, a kick into life. If it doesn't, then Olsen can potentially come in and, and help solve that issue for them. Um, so yeah, the the race for the top four at, at the very least is uh, is hotting up. You've rather succinctly there pretty much wrapped up every deal that did happen. Tosin Adarabayo left Man City to join Fulham. That the latest deal. Manchester United yeah did do some other deals for a couple of young kids, a Uruguayan. Still going through for him at uh, half past 11. And uh, yeah, also just another couple to touch on. Rafinha, a uh, Brazilian winger, joining Leeds United from Wren. And Theo Walcott moving back to Southampton on loan from Everton, which effectively brings his time on Merseyside to an end, given he's into the last year of his uh, Everton contract. So party time for Arsenal. That one does look a good deal, as you say, Matt. But Manchester United, on the other hand, probably less said the better. Let's look at some of the Liverpool-related transfer dealings now then, and we've perhaps been expecting some movement, as you suggested, out rather than ins with Harry Wilson, Jordan Shakiri, who will come to soon, and Marco Gruwich all up for sale throughout the course of the summer. We'll touch in on Gruwich first, and he seemed to be the likeliest to move on on deadline day, but as Ian Doyle writes on the Echo, a deal couldn't be struck in the end. Yeah, it was uh, Werder Bremen who who came to the table. Obviously, they'll be well aware of him, having seen him play on loan now for for two seasons at Hertha Berlin in the Bundesliga. But they just couldn't find the the money to get the deal done. Liverpool valuing Gruwich around twenty million pounds. They were not prepared all summer to loan him out. I wondered at, at one stage if that stance would change and he, he would be allowed to go. But Liverpool stood firm and I think obviously it's a principled approach, but it does make you wonder what happens now with Marco Gruwich from now until January at the very least. There is a possibility that they could loan him out to the Championship now. Obviously, the the window for domestic deals to happen um, is still open for the next couple of weeks. But, you know, 17 out of the 18 homegrown slots... Uh, or non-homegrown slots, I should say, have been filled by Liverpool. So the fact that Shakiri and Marco Gruic have both stayed, that now means that only one of them can be registered for Liverpool between now and January. So that's a, a pretty big issue for one of them. You would imagine, given the depth and, and the sort of number of options that Liverpool have in the centre of the pitch, it will probably be uh, Marco Gruic who misses out. Um, Zerda Shaqiri obviously has had a, a bigger impact on Liverpool's first team as well so you'd think that, that that might play into his hands it's just a really strange situation for him at the age of 24 I think he needed a permanent move uh, I think at the very least he now needs to, to go out uh, and find some football somewhere because otherwise he's going to be a 24 year old filling up one of the, the three overage uh, slots that you're allowed to play in the under 23s so it, it's just such a, a waste, to be honest, of, of his time. I think he'll be 
frustrated. I wouldn't be uh, surprised if he was a little bit unhappy. It's probably not good news for, for the under-23s either because it means that he's now going to have to to go down there probably and, and play every so often, which you know, could potentially uh, mean a, a place lost for someone like a Jake Kane or a Leighton Clarkson in there to develop. As I say, he could still go out on, on loan to the championship, but again, he's better than a, a championship player. He quite easily could, could get into a lot of, of Premier League sides. So, yeah, it, it, it's a strange situation. Uh, we always thought it was going to be difficult for Liverpool, especially this summer, to, to attract a bid of, of £20 million from anybody. And obviously that hasn't been the case. So, yeah, the, the fact that they haven't softened their stance, as I say, is possibly a, a kind of principled approach. They didn't want to to sort of be seen to, to go back on that because I suppose it could harm them in future deals. But you just wonder now what happens not just with him, the fact that the Harry Wilson hasn't moved on either. You wonder if both of them now, you can't really see them getting too many senior minutes between now and January. So does that mean that they're going to just be in the under-23s every week? Quite possibly. And Well, for, for both of them, it's a, a bit of a shame and a massive waste because for me, they could both be very much proven at the very least in the mid-table sort of Premier League clubs, if not a little bit higher. Yeah, so, so Gruwich staying put for now. Coming up, we'll stick with transfers as Liverpool's Swiss star Shakiri to stay around. Plus, we look ahead to the international window and why FIFA might be next in Jurgen Klopp's sights. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Our final piece of transfer business to get through there, Matt, centres all around Jordan Shakiri. We know what a talent he can be. And Liverpool fans seemingly going to get a chance to maybe see that talent at least for another three months, it appears, as Neil Jones writes for goal. Yeah, Zedan Shakiri valued at, at £20 million as well. Similar sort of price tag to, to Marco Gruic, we believe. And there was interest in him from Germany and from Italy. Lazio were interested earlier um, in the transfer window. Whether it was them who, who came back to the table, I'm not too sure. But certainly Germany and, and Italy were the two places where clubs were interested in him. But no bids ultimately arrived. And, and Zedan Shakiri now is here as well. I think it's... It's certainly not as much of an issue for Liverpool that he is still here as Grouich and, and Wilson. You can see Shakiri potentially being on the bench fairly regularly. You can see him sort of coming on. Uh, obviously, Liverpool out of the Carabao Cup now. There's not going to be any more of those matches for him to start. You wouldn't imagine, um, given the fact that Mohamed Salah tends to play most of, of the matches, you've also then got Diogo Jota and, and Divock Origi and, and plenty of others seemingly at this stage in proceedings ahead of him in the pecking order. But I think there's a glimmer of hope for Shukiri that he could, uh, given his talent and, and given you know what he can do when he's at his best and, and when he's on, on form and, and firing, he's got a better chance certainly than Harry Wilson and, and Marco Gruic of, of making an impact. But again, it's it does almost seem a little bit of a, a waste of somebody quite as, as talented as he is. He could very easily walk into the majority of Premier League teams, as I say, with uh, Marco Gruic and, and Harry Wilson as well. So, yeah, we, we expect him now to stay. He won't be allowed out on loan. Uh, that, again, has been the stance. All summer, Liverpool set a price tag and, and ultimately nobody was prepared to, to get close enough to that for them to uh, to allow that to happen. So, yeah, again, it's a, it's a strange one. I think it would have been best both for, for Liverpool and for him to move on, but it's not quite 
um, as bad a thing that he's sticking around, I don't think. I think there is a slight chance that between now and January, he could make a, a, a certainly a bigger impact than, than Gruwich and, and Wilson. Yeah, I suppose. Could this be a lifeline, maybe a catalyst for Shakiri to force his way into Jurgen Klopp's plans? I, I suppose we'll have to wait and see how that one does unfold. With the transfer window closing then, at least the foreign one, as Matt's already alluded to, there is now a domestic-only window until Friday the 16th of October, which closes at 5pm. That only allows Premier League clubs, though, to buy and sell to EFL clubs, so there won't be any deals done between Premier League sides. But during that time, we do have an international break of international football to look forward to. Yay! Well, maybe only me on that one. But uh, ahead of Wales game with England on Wednesday, Matt Ryan Giggs has been speaking about the criticism that Nico Williams received after Liverpool's win at Lincoln. Yeah, um, I think, you know, generally speaking, I agree with him that the general message really is, you know, that Nico has to, to learn to deal really with the, the online abuse that we've seen. And, and sadly, that is ultimately the, the case at, at this stage. It, it comes with being a footballer for a club as big as Liverpool. Unfortunately, social media being the way that it is, it's almost inevitable, really, which is a sad situation. It's not something that you would like to be sat here in an ideal situation. He wouldn't have to just put up with it and deal with it. But unfortunately, I think that's kind of the, the situation for, for all young footballers coming through now. It's obviously part and parcel, as, as Ryan Giggs says, of um, sort of a, a young player's life is that they are inevitably going to be on social media. And then it's a case of, of how you deal and, and manage, obviously, that situation. So it's a, a similar message, I think, to, to Pep Linders, what he said uh, a few days ago in, in his press conference before the Carabao Cup. Essentially, it's a case of, you know, filtering uh, the, the negativity, the, the bad things and, you know, a, ignoring both sort of ends of it, really. You don't want the really abusive and, and horrible things, but equally, you don't really want to be, you know, reading a, a load of praise and a load of people telling you how brilliant you are. You kind of have to take both ends of it with a, a pinch of salt, really, which is, is easier said than done, but it's something that, you know, all young players, not just Nico, are, are going to have to to get used to and, and adjust to, I think. So, look, he's a, a sensible kid. He's obviously came out with the, the kind of blackout of his, his Twitter account, um, which is not good to see. Obviously, uh, he was affected in some sort of way, but, you know, hopefully he'll learn from that. I know that, that Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and a few other Liverpool players have, have kind of um, put their arm around him and, and sort of, you know, helped him, him deal with that and hopefully in the future that sort of thing um well inevitably that sort of thing will happen again unfortunately uh, but hopefully he's now in a, a better position to be able to deal with that in future yeah hope that certainly is the case for him but straight after the international break of course liverpool play everton in the merseyside derby in a half past 12 kickoff on the Saturday, despite both clubs having players travelling across the globe to South America, which appears to be somewhat of a COVID hotspot, Matt. And the Mail Online reporting that regardless of any health and safety risks, FIFA are going to force clubs to release their players to play for their countries. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. This It comes from the, the New York Times a couple of days ago. And something I wrote on the Liverpool Echo website just a couple of days ago as well, Liverpool potentially losing up to, I think, 20 or 21 players to international duty. Obviously, Alisson Becker now injured, so he won't be travelling. But essentially, FIFA are going to order Liverpool and, and every other club as well, of course, to release players for internationals. 
effectively those internationals have to be competitive games uh, but they are effectively saying that these players do have to travel there's no sort of choice element in it so clubs understandably as you say they're going to be reluctant to, to let players go particularly long distances particularly to, to COVID um, areas or, or particularly um, areas where that is present uh, prescient as in South America but uh, yeah Fabinho Firmino they're obviously now going to have to travel uh, to South America I think Brazil played Bolivia and Peru and those games are both World Cup qualifiers so FIFA deeming those games to be competitive of course the Nations League is competitive as well I'm not sure quite uh, whether I agree with that sort of description of it I don't think it's particularly important but there we are so any sort of England players they won't have a choice in the uh, the two Nations League games that England will play. Effectively, the, the New York Times saying that FIFA will force clubs to let players go for competitive games. In theory, we talked about that, that Wales game. In theory, Liverpool could stop any players playing for England or Wales in that game, as it is only a friendly. But ultimately, there's not really a great deal of, of chance that that will happen, I don't think, obviously. Wales uh, and England next to each other, there's not really a, a huge uh, COVID threat or certainly not an increased COVID threat by moving uh, around in this country. Um, that, of course, would be more of a, an issue of fixture congestion and, and not wanting the players to be tired out. So potentially could ruin uh, a relationship with Gareth Southgate and England. And it's probably not a good look for, for Liverpool to be doing something like that, even if the international fixture is quite ridiculous as it is. The fact that England have to, to play three games, I don't think a lot of people have possibly realised that yet. The fact that England, I think, play three games in seven days, one of which is uh, a friendly at a time when you know clubs, I think we've seen uh, Tottenham in recent times, had to play four games in the space of about eight days. Liverpool and other clubs are going to find similar things over the next few weeks. It's a crazy schedule. And, you know, England, do they really need to be playing friendlies at, at this moment in time? I'm not convinced that they do. But, uh, yeah, in, in terms of COVID, in terms of FIFA, I think Liverpool's biggest concern will be those Brazilian players, of course. I mean, it, it's especially difficult with fixture congestion and that sort of thing anyway. I think um, it, it's late on, on the Wednesday uh, the second Wednesday of the international break that Brazil play. Those players are then going to have to travel back. And, and Liverpool, of course, as you say, their game at 12.30 on the Saturday. So it's the shortest possible uh, turnaround time for Fabinho and Firmino to, to get back in time for that Merseyside derby. Um, but again, there's nothing Liverpool can do about it. And unfortunately, there is that increased risk that, that one or two players could pick up COVID-19. I think it's inevitable really that, that someone somewhere in the Premier League will go on international duty and, and bring it back that is just you know what the the increased uh, amount of travelling will do so yeah a, a difficult situation FIFA haven't exactly helped out the clubs on this occasion but I suppose they will argue it's not in their interest too but yeah it's a, a difficult situation and one I assume that Jurgen Klopp won't be completely comfortable with yeah, to me, it's just ludicrous. I, I really don't I don't get it, Matt. Why there's a need for international football whilst supporters within our own country aren't allowed back into games. I get the federations want to make money, but 
for me, you can't just keep moving players around the world as commodities to, to play and make money for these federations for games to be put on TV with nothing coming back to the supporters. Even if it's a, a reduced capacity, it is just beyond me. And that's before even sort of getting onto the health and safety risk, as you say, it brings. It might be, I suppose, a separate issue of sorts, but... For me, personally, it just doesn't sit right. But anyway, that's all from us for now here on the Morning Bulletin. Keep an eye across the Liverpool Echo throughout the day for your latest Liverpool fix. Also, don't forget the link to our twice-daily newsletters also in the description of this podcast. All it takes is your email address in exchange for our top stories finding their way to you rather than you even needing to go searching. Also, keep across the Blood Red podcast platforms wherever it is you get your audio on demand, as well as our dedicated Blood Red YouTube channel. But from Matt Addison and myself, Guy Clark, thanks for joining us here for the Morning Bulletin. That's all for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.